Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're talking about the improving relations between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Tell us about this burgeoning bromance. Yeah, well, so I'm not going to say totally out of the blue because obviously eyes have been focused on on um, North Korea recently because of the sort of what appeared to be growing tensions between North Korea and uh, and the US. Um, out of the blue, North and South Korea, the the, pres- the respective presidents held a sudden sort of conference. Uh, you know, the the uh, Kim Jong Un, president of North Korea. Um, or the leader of North Korea, or whatever he's called, uh, supreme leader, the supreme leader, dear leader, the dear leader. Well, no, because I think I think they've got because each each generation yeah, has, has its own title, yeah. doesn't it? Um, and uh, he, he stepped in this amazing moment, stepped into South Korea. I think for the first time since the Korean War, first time it's ever happened since there's been these two officially divided careers. Um, and and I think it's fair to say that this was pretty surprising. People didn't really see it coming, and. Um, and the the question is really, you know, we often think of dictatorships as being relatively stable. That you know they kind of go on for a long time, don't they? I mean, you you, you get you know you get the same leader generally in power for a very long time. Um, but you know, is that is that is that right? Is that wrong? And you know, what does it mean for our attempts to predict the future? Let, let, let's just check on one thing though. Um, you're you're talking about unpredictable versus stable, right? Is is being unpredictable necessarily the opposite of being stable? Could you be predictable and unstable? You're asking me. I don't know who I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is what we're touching on. That actually, there's there's several things going on here. It's certainly not as straightforward as you know, just because it looks the same for a long time, therefore it's somehow predictable. I mean, and so that that's what we that's what we want to yeah, drill big, into, really. The big thing is democracies are not meant to fight against each other. Democracies aren't meant to go to war against according each to other. According to Tony right? Blair. Right, there we go. Um, well, and according to data, by and large. There are a few things here uh, that need sort of clarifying uh, or at least considering. Um, the first is, you know, how how do we define these these two different things? So, you know, dictatorship versus a democracy... Uh, is it as clear cut as you've got all of the things over there, and you know, are they discrete categories? And uh, you know, there are different there are different thoughts on that. I mean, you could say there are lots of different types of um, dictatorship. So, you know, you've got political um, party monopolies, you've got royal families, uh, you've got you know things where they're led by a leader, theocracies, military dictatorships. So there are lots of different types of dictatorships. There are obviously lots of different types of democracies, constitutional. Um, monarchies and republics and so on and so forth right so first of all uh, those things in themselves are not necessarily um, categories but I think we all accept that there's like autocratic regimes and there's ones where you know the people have more say over what what goes on there's greater accountability greater accountability and so on and in fact you know the um the economist uh, um, intelligence unit has a has almost like a sliding spectrum with you know norway and iceland at one end and uh, north korea and syria at at the other end and anything in in between so you know perhaps perhaps there's a, a way of viewing this as being a bit more of a spectrum but if we accept that in broad terms there are some governments that are very 
very autocratic and some governments that are much more de- democratic. Um, is there is there a difference, uh, a tangible difference in the stability? And by stability, I suppose there are two factors here. There is the survivability of the regime or the the government or the form of government. And then the second thing is the predictability of the behaviour of that government, right? You know, are, are they... Um, can you determine what they they're going to do ahead of time within certain certain boundaries? So I think those are those are the question the, the questions. Yeah. So to be clear, it sounds like we agree that there is a difference between predictability and stability. So and looking around, what might um, uh, result in greater unpredictability would be we're looking essentially we're talking about decision making, and so I, I guess in in a, in an autocracy. Often uh, we've got things like opacity, for example. Yeah, we've got things like and and which also can be a very concentrated power structure or decision making structure. Um, what else? Yeah, well, the the power is also. I think I'd say the the um, uh, the speed <clears throat> with which things can change, which is a consequence of those partly a consequence of the things you mentioned, which is that in a democracy there's going to be more process necessarily. You know, so if you want to enact some new law. It's got to be. It's going to be telegraphed well in advance because you've got to start formulating it. Civil servants have to draft it. It's got to be put through some kind of you know um, legislature. So so there's going to you you. It's just impossible to sneak one of those in through the back door. That's not totally uh, true. I mean you know in the UK it's I think we're in a, at the moment in a position where we don't quite know whether Parliament needs. Uh, to give permission to go to war certainly never used to be the case the the the, um, the executive the prime minister could just do that in the u.s they have executive orders which allow the president to just do stuff and um you know so there are these little shortcuts but by and large you know if uh, you're not going to get a major change in the attitude of a of a democratic regime uh, very quickly but of course I mean, looking at looking over the looking over the I, I, I was looking for sort of top intelligence failures, which is a good kind of indicator of, let's say, potential to deliver surprises. And they're all, you know, so I'll, I'll just go through the list. We've got Pearl Harbor, which was, of course, an, against an absolute monarchy. But admittedly, uh, they weren't at war, but they, you know, were pretty close. Uh, the Tet Offensive, which was against, let's, let's call them a kind of military dictatorship, the, the North Vietnamese. Uh, the Yom Kippur War, which was, um, you know, declared by Egypt and Syria, who were effectively uh, dictatorships. Um, uh, the the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, of course, the Soviet Union, pretty much a as good as a dictatorship. Uh, collapse of the Soviet Union itself, and then um, uh, Cuban the, the missile only, crisis. The, sorry, Cuban missile crisis, of course, and and then but then you've got things which are Islamist groups, you know, which say so the the the, uh, the Iranian Revolution and nine one one, which you know uh, probably don't really fit on this scale because they're not really governments yet. But if they were governments, they would be dictatorships. The only one uh, which cropped up, which um, it is was a full on democracy, was the Indian nuclear test in nineteen ninety eight. Uh, so I think I think you know in, certainly in terms of their capacity to surprise us, it we look it's dictatorships I mean, I think who, really who can change overnight all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, sorry, I think there's a great exception to this, for, but but anyway, for the moment, go on, Chris. Well, I was just going to say it's, it's interesting to look at this through the prism of the Cold War, and one of the the sort of constructs that um, was generated there by both sides was this idea of uh, a black box versus white noise, and that the 
to us in the West, the Soviet, uh, you know, um, system was viewed as a, a black box. It was a small number of people making decisions that we couldn't see. Uh, and so we struggled to know what they were going to, to do necessarily. We spent, we spent a lot of effort trying to find out what they were trying to do. F- on the flip side, they found us difficult to predict because there was so much information coming out it was difficult to decide when a you know when a president or a you know a western politician says uh something you know that they they're going to do are they actually going to do it you know there's lots of commentary on it you know this is what they mean and so on and so forth uh it's it's a it's a problem of of volume you know so one is not enough information one is too much information what's actually true hold hold the phone how have i got this far through my life without and only just heard this this dichotomy between black box and white noise because I totally love it. Where does it come yeah. from? Well, there's the thing you see it's somewhere in the back of my brain, and I I, I struggled. Did you make it up? No, I didn't make it up. No, I, I I would take credit for it if I had made it up. But it's a theory that I've heard that I cannot, for the life of me, trace back to its its origin. Okay, I, I love think you, I think you might have heard me talking about it in a previous podcast. Yes, that's, that's right. Probably yeah, yeah. that was yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, so just sort of, um, just a quick point, a quick aside. We we tend not to get too hung up on news, let's say. Um, but one of the things that people, and also we tend to be fairly, I think we're pretty um, good at being um, uh, non-partisan. But one of the things that Trump has been criticised for is his sort of, the surprises and the quick policy changes, which actually... Uh, also suggests some an, another aspect of his presidency people have talked about is this is this sort of a shrunken policy making environment and an almost court like um decision making process um any yeah, thoughts on I, that and of course well, i think i think it's, right? i like the word shrunken there that fe- that feels like what it is like why it is that a democracy is that democracies are open and slow is because they depend on a lot of people there's a lot of buffers involved there's a lot of you know of um uh of of devolution of power to different groups and different people and everything you know and that's the reward you get from having all that of course is much more efficiency quite apart from um you know having greater the all the kind of stability benefits you get um having having a a sort of much more devolved uh sort of bigger having a you get an economy of scale effectively where different people who are kind of trusted to run their own little bits of government can do that relatively unmolested whereas you've got one guy it can be totally all over the place and especially if it's one guy who we don't necessarily trust to have a particularly good grasp of the issues um so uh, now, uh, apparently, now Chris mentioned the Economist Intelligence Unit Democracy Index. I think it's pretty good. I, I think it's it looks at um, uh, it looks at uh, a bunch of things like electoral process, government functioning, political participation, and they're all quite well defined. So it's not it's not a kind of subjective scale. It's not like they're just ranking these countries. I mean, they're they're, they're scoring them on various different you know objective criteria. But the U.S. has actually, for the first time, slipped from. Uh, full sort of full democracy to flawed democracy just dropped below that completely arbitrary cutoff what what are out of interest what other countries would that put it with any ideas uh, good good question that i forgot yeah it's about 22nd i think so it's i think it's somewhere alongside um nigeria 
and Colombia. No, no, no. It's definitely it's definitely <laughs> above above them. It's it's uh, you know it's in it's in fairly respectable company to okay. be fair. Um, but but I was going a uh, bit like me right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I was going to say that um, you know. Th- in terms of um, so we've had uh, we've talked about predictability but in terms of stability I think this highlights a really interesting point which is that democracies rarely fail right I mean democracies erode and it's dictatorships that collapse right and 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 I think you know we we so in one direction you know you you um, now often they might be replaced by another uh, dictatorship but um in one direction you get catastrophic failure in the other you get sort of slippage you know if you look at turkey and russia they still you know have elections but they're getting increasingly autocratic and within a democracy you know even even the national socialists in germany uh took a, a long time not a long well a relatively long time to dismantle the, the you know the weimar republic apparatus and i think that um uh, democ- democracy provides um a certain amount of uh insurance inbuilt into it that that system itself might fail because governments Governments change. That's your that's your pressure valve in a in a dictatorship. There's no real mechanism for that other than a coup or you know an uprising of some description. And I mean, looking, I, I think DPRK, sorry, North Korea um, is a, a real a real out, outlier in a sense. I mean, you can tell it's an outlier kind of politically. I mean, it's so weird. It's like the last of the of the great completely isolated communist countries. Um, but but it's but it is a bit of an outlier in the sense that actually if you look at the data for um dictatorships they they um they they they're uns they're generally unstable i mean they're unstable in the sense that if you they have more they have considerably more civil wars um they uh they're more likely to switch between types of dictatorships so around about um you know one one percent or so of of um uh, 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 well, sorry, around about three percent of civilian uh, dictator- dictatorships become military dictatorships every year because of a coup, and and vice versa because of you know a sort of democracy. Well, let's just say civilianization of government. Um, and democracy is very very stable. Only about one percent of democracies a year becomes a dictatorship. Um, so, uh, but so so it's sort of um, but but actually the 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 change there's more regime change between types of regime within dictatorships than there is a change from dictatorships to to um yes to democracies so, so are, you, suggests, sorry, are you talking about factionalism yeah that they right, you know, okay. what i mean is that if we that i know we think if we think of north korea we think we think of a country where they've had the same regime essentially for 60 years or whatever um whereas whereas actually the the average di- dictatorship there is more change than you you know but it tends to go from one dictatorship to another dictatorship to another one so it's not necessarily stable but the di- the dictatorship bit is right so it's quite hard to go from di- from dictatorship to democracy and vice versa which sort of suggests that they 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 are a kind of local um you know equilibria that they're too and and actually if you look at the data for um the things that bad things so things like civil wars and homicide rates and so on it, it, kind of interestingly they're they're usually worse in the middle so countries that are sort of in between hybrid countries where they're sort of in transition or where they you know where they were demo- or country you know so it, it's countries where they have aspects of both uh di- autocracy and and democracy that they generally score worse on all the indicators so it sort of suggests that you really want to be in one or the other 
yeah. Well, inter- interestingly, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a very uh, good study by um, an academic called uh, Beatrice Magaloni from Stanford um, about, uh, you know, um, authoritarian governments. And um, between, she's done a study between 1950 and uh, 2000. Uh, and during that time, apparently 62% of, um, in terms of the world's regime years, were autocratic. Uh, so the majority of, of um, countries were governed under autocratic systems in that time. And, uh, you know, this, this research sort of looks at different types of dictatorships and their relative stability. So, uh, you know, military dictatorships had a relatively short shelf life and, you you know, that kind of fits in with your mental model of, you know, repeated coups in in countries. But the most successful types of dictatorship for which uh, 50% had had a sort of, uh, or or rather, um, uh, they stood a 50% um, probability of lasting 30 years was uh, single party dictatorships and and that I think that fits nicely with your point about um, you know evolution within a dictatorship you know a single party system can be all kinds of things as new leaders come in and you know you you transfer from Mao to um, uh, to whoever follows yeah I think that that's, that's exactly fits um, the number if I if I, I mean I reckon three percent of dictatorships have a kind of regime change per year that would give you on average a 30-year lifespan so that that fits fits nicely um we need to finish fairly soon i was going to ask a question about would you like to be a dictator um but i think we've done that before we've done chris chris is still it's it's what keeps him awake at night the fact that he's not a dictator (laughs) um but what i want to ask is um do you have a favorite dictator now i remember back when i was a, a latam analyst um i developed a kind of rogues gallery and i i mean covering latin america it was it was just rich pickings in terms of looking for dictators because i had i had lots of pictures of 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 south american central american dictators um but actually probably my favorite dictator is who was that bloke recently um about a decade ago in 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 central asia who had the revolving statue of himself oh, the, Tur- the Turkmen Bashi yeah that's it always facing the sun um I don't know much about him but I know that and in my books that sort of make, puts him up there with the dictators I think he sounds like a good one um favorite yeah. dictator well obviously most of them uh either start out or finish off as m- murderous villains so from that point of view none of them but if I had to pick one uh, I think it would be King Zog of Albania. I think just to have the 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 brass neck to just make yourself a monarch out of nowhere in in a sort of you know um, in the modern world, um, I've got a lot of admiration for that. Yeah, because you you, but didn't he get he got deposed by Hitler, right? Uh, well, Did I make that up. Uh, he he no he fell he he fell as a result of um, kind of Albanian revolution. Oh, okay. Um, Enver Hoxha. Who? <laughs> All right. So he's an Albanian. I was confused. I was thinking of someone else with a small name uh, in Romania. But yeah, oh, okay. Ceausescu? No, no, no. no. Yeah, it was, anyway, that. we're all getting a bit uh, bogged down. No, I like you, uh, Fraser. I'm also a fan of the South. I have to say the South. Papa, someone like Papa Doctor Valier, or um, who was the who's our. Uh, um, not Andy. Who's the who's the who was the guy in um, 
in uh, Chile who who supported Pinochet. us. Pinochet. Pinochet. Yeah. He looked good in a pair of shades, and he I, also I loved a lot awesome. of people out of planes into the sea. But yes, I'm not. I think we've got a bit of a bit of a rum bunch to choose from yeah, if we're picking true. dictators. But if you're going to be a dictator, I much prefer that sort of white suit, big moustache, sun sunglasses, preferably a cigar, than the kind of uptight. More the kind of Hitlery, Stalin-y, uptight sort of yeah, bullying, making up kind of control free personality. Yeah, defects, I, yeah. I, but uh, but no, uh, I think the, uh, the 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 only correct answer is um, Vladimir Putin, all British people's <laughs> favorite favorite dictator. Uh, so yeah, I mean, He's as long as he elected. knows, as long as he as long as he knows that <laughs> we we pose no threat, uh, then that's that's the key thing. Yeah, be careful about opening your door when you go home. Um, so let's stop there and that's my decision and it's final actually that's the great thing about um, these podcasts is that I have the the power of the of the edit and so any moment I can you're the kind of the, like working in the ministry of truth effectively yeah. you're able yeah, to yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I can carve it out exactly how it should be and reflecting what the truth actually is history so is basically you re-record all, all of the things during the podcast Fraser makes all kinds of moronic statements and, and, and the things that he edits in he basically records later but it's true, actually. One thing I do do is that um, anytime I say anything particularly spectacularly stupid, I do edit that out. Um, but any guys, you, anytime that you guys say that, I keep it in. So, so there we go. That's um, yeah. Um, okay. Well, look. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. You've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Aleph Insights. Uh, thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.